You're listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. If you care about growing your skills and getting more new sales appointments, pipeline, and closed one deals, you came to the right place. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, or Spreaker, and be sure to go back and listen to all the episodes for the best strategies, tips, and tactics out there on running a high-performance sales development program. And now, your host, founder, and CEO of TenBound at TenBound.com, David Delaney. Hello, 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 everybody. This is David Delaney with the Sales Development Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have my esteemed guest, Mr. Adam Weitzman, account executive with LinkedIn Sales Solution up in Toronto, Canada. How are you doing today, Adam? I'm doing very well. Thank you uh, for the warm introduction there. How are you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. A little under the weather, actually. So I apologize if I make mistakes on this podcast, but (laughs) I'm excited to have you on the show. I initially met you when I was checking out work.com as part of a plugin for Salesforce. And I remember just being really impressed with your work over there. And I was like, I definitely got to get this guy on the show and talk a little bit about you know what you've been doing, whether it's Salesforce or now LinkedIn and how you kind of made that transition from sales development to becoming an AE. So thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, no, of course. And uh, thank you for having me. It's It's funny too. I think that Back when you were over at Acton and I was at Salesforce, that was probably the first opportunity that I had generated purely as a means of social outreach. So kind of got me going as far as understanding, hey, maybe there's a a little bit of a different or better way to do things. Yeah, dude, I want to go into that because I remember that being super effective. And, you know, as I was checking out different resources, had had you not used a different approach, I, I definitely wouldn't have gotten in touch with you. So I want to dig into that. First, before we start diving into that kind of stuff, tell us about Adam and, and how you went from you know Salesforce to LinkedIn to now you're selling the sales solution for LinkedIn. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll walk you through that a little bit. So when I first got out of school, I was really uh, impressed by the idea of wearing a suit and tie every <laughs> single day. So decided I was going to actually go into a banking type role. Lasted there about eight months and decided, hey, I, I might like some more casual wear as opposed to the suit and tie. And I was actually helping to implement Salesforce at that branch. In seeing it, I decided that was a, a really interesting area and something that I wanted to learn more about. So managed to get myself into Salesforce's internship program here in Toronto. Did that for about six months and then transitioned over to sales development representative. The way that it works at Salesforce traditionally is you go through sales development representative, which is purely an inbound basis. Then after that, you go over to business development, which is focused on outbound and supporting strategic account executives. And then from there, you make your way over to account executive. And I was privileged enough to have the opportunity to learn the skills that I thought would be required to go straight into an account executive role. And really in using Sales Navigator, a bunch over at Salesforce became passionate about the product and decided that was something I wanted to get behind. And then so are you, you're still up, up there. LinkedIn has a branch or you know, an office up there. Yeah, so we've got a small office here in Toronto. There's about 130 of us, so very much so 
still feels like a startup, but uh, it's great to know that we're behind such a big company and I've got my fingers crossed. I can get them to send me to San Francisco once the winter shows up here. <laughs> there you go. Definitely. And that's funny because 130, I sometimes I consult with companies that have like two people and <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're a small office. We only have 130. So yeah, I guess it's just relative. I mean, LinkedIn has what, how many employees? Uh, thousands, right? Yeah, I would say probably close to 10,000. And then now with everyone at Microsoft as well. Oh, that's crazy. Okay. Okay, cool. So I've got some questions um, on when you, you went from banking into Salesforce. Tell us about what the program was like going through Salesforce and, and how you went from intern to sales development rep to business development rep. Like, Tell us about that that experience, the training and what they had you do and things like that to put you through that path. I think that's really interesting because a lot of companies don't really have that set onboarding and training. They just kind of throw you to the wolves. So how's that different in your experience? Yeah, no, um, that's a great question. I think that Salesforce does a phenomenal job of really training their talent and putting them through what they call the Salesforce MBA, which starts as an intern and you make your way up to account executive. The internship is a great opportunity to not just learn more about Salesforce as a whole, but get a ton of exposure to a number of different areas. Your role is effectively to support a team of business development representatives. So a bunch of hunters who are focused on a strategic set of accounts and to generate new opportunities. And as an intern, your job is really to help fuel that engine and give them opportunities or find insights to really help you get in touch with the right people. So even an example I can share, I remember in my first month there, I had been given a list of maybe 5,000 different accounts that the business development team had really had set their sights on. And my goal was to tell them, okay, who to reach out to, when and why. So that's where I started using things like LinkedIn or some of the other tools that Salesforce has as well to really provide these insights to the business development representatives. The biggest opportunity that I found through that and how I was able to learn a whole bunch was following things through from start to finish. So if I find that a company just brought on a new VP of sales and they may have some previous experience with Salesforce, I would set up that information, give it to a business development representative. They would start calling and emailing that individual. Goal is to then set up an appointment. Once they set up that appointment, they bring in an account executive and the account executive ran with the deal cycle. I think majority of my learning came through watching that from start to finish, the handoff between someone in sales development to an account executive, and then being able to watch as an account executive really work through some of the complexities that is salesforce.com to bring a company across the finish line. After that, the, the really natural progression there is to move into sales development. Sales development at Salesforce means purely an inbound basis. So you're given dozens, if not hundreds of leads that have shown some interest in Salesforce, and your job is to get in touch with those folks, qualify those opportunities, and set those up for account executives. Where I really think that that role helped shape everything that's going on here for me even now as well as the amount of exposure I got to different types of people. I could go from one call with the CEO of a startup to office manager who works in the oil and gas industry. And in doing that, I got to learn about not only a whole bunch of different organizations, but how different people face challenges from an organizational standpoint, 
how someone in sales has different prerogatives or issues that they come into versus someone in operations or in finance or marketing. After that, I, uh, I had a little bit of a moment of clarity and I decided I really thought that I wanted to go into the account executive role. At Salesforce, the natural progression is to go to business development prior to that. But I had felt as though I really wanted to get into a role where I could close some sort of business. So I actually skipped business development representative over at Salesforce and transitioned from inbound sales development representative to an account executive here at LinkedIn. And I have been here now for just under 11 months. Excellent. Okay. This is really interesting to me. So I got a couple questions about the the process. So as an intern, when you came in, you said they, they would give you about 5,000 accounts. Is that the general practice that you would have that many accounts that you'd have to go through? Or did they kind of like parcel them out to you? Like here's a hundred for this week and, and, you know, make it a little bit smaller number so that it's more manageable for you. Yeah, no, um, it's a good point. Really the, the way that it worked is uh, at least on my team, I was supporting a team of 12 business development representatives and they all had hundreds, if not thousands of accounts. So technically I helped support all of those accounts as well. A lot of the business development folks would say, hey, these are the 50 or so accounts that I'm focused on. Can you go find me some new people in this account for this month? Or I want to go about and getting engaged with this type of a company in this particular industry. So they gave you a, a focus as far as, hey, this is where I want you to prioritize your time. But if you walked in there on day one, it was you're supporting a team of business development representatives anywhere from eight to up to 15 different people. And yet they all have quite literally thousands of accounts that you can go after or help support. Wow. Okay. So they have one intern to like eight to 12 people. You got it. Wow. Okay. That's, that seems like a, a lot of work. I mean, how did they rate you as far as your work? Did they have a set system of, you got to send me like three people a day or, or, or was it more squishy? Like, oh, you're doing a great job. Everybody likes you type of thing. <laughs> I wish it was the latter. Um, that would have been a, that would have been a whole different that doesn't That doesn't seem like something Salesforce would do. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem like something a uh, majority of companies would do. I've had a few internships and I've never had someone just say, just keep it up. Whatever you're doing is great. I, I love it. There's always been something behind it as well. But um, really what happens in, in that circumstance and why I think that it's such a, a good opportunity, particularly the way that Salesforce does it as well, is because of how many different areas you can go after, but they have you focus on a couple of key metrics. So as an intern, a big piece was how many contacts or accounts we could go about adding. There weren't many opportunities to find net new accounts out there, but the whole goal was, hey, let's see how many new contacts we can add into Salesforce's database on a weekly basis. The true measurement as to where they saw your effectiveness was all based off of what opportunities or pipeline was generated as a result of your efforts. So if I found a new, say, marketing leader at a company that my business development team was targeting, if I found that person, I said, hey, I found this person and I've written up a, an intro email for you to send over, and that turns into an opportunity, that's pipeline that I've helped influence. And that was the main measurement that they looked at from an intern perspective. How much of the overall team's pipeline are you influencing? And is this on a consistent basis? Nice. Nice. And th that must be tough too, because you're, you're kind of at the mercy of that BDR who you're giving, giving it. It's, it's almost like one upstream from 
when you're a BDR and you set up a, an appointment and then you give it to the AE and you're kind of at their mercy, <laughs> you know, to, to be able to do something with it. And you're t like, in your case, you were upstream one from the BDR. You're the intern finding these people, giving, queuing them up. And it's kind of up to them if they are able to make an opportunity of it. Right. Yeah, no, very true. And it's, it was fun to watch along as things progressed or didn't progress for that matter as well. And I think that one of the biggest things I learned and even something that I've brought here now, I think that the relationship between anyone that's in an account executive role and then the folks that are helping feed you this information, whether they're interns or sales development, I think it's absolutely crucial to success. I still remember the the one account executive over at Salesforce who, when I found something great for one of his uh, BDRs, he ordered pizza for us here in Toronto and just, wow, thank you for trying to get a meeting with that guy forever. Just little things like that that made me want to work harder for that person in particular. That's that's really interesting. So what what was the relationship like between the intern, the BDR, and the AE? Would you guys get together and, and have meetings or was there some regular cadence of meetings or was it just kind of a, you know, more of a, if something good happened, you'd celebrate type of thing? I think it was very much so on the intern to make those relationships I don't think that, you know, an account executive would say, oh, this new person's come on for four months. Let me take the time out of my day to introduce myself to them. I think it was very much so, hey, I'm the intern that now supports your team. I'm working with this person. What are you focused on right now? I want to help you really crush it this quarter. And I think that that messaging or being proactive in your approach was what really helped foster those relationships. So in short, to answer your question, there was no like formalized process. These are the people that you get to meet and engage with. It was all up to you, but you had free reign. You yeah, shit. I mean, I, I would think if I was an AE and I, I had support of that magnitude, like I had BDRs and, and interns that were working with me, I'd want to meet with them. <laughs> like I, I'd take it from the AE perspective. It's like, dude, these people are going to help me make my number, man. I, I want to meet with them. I want to make sure that they're coordinated. I want to buy them pizza. I want to buy them beer. Yeah, make sure they're you know? fed for sure. <laughs> right? Because... <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's also for people on the other end, like if you're the intern or you're the BDR, that you, you have to own the relationship too, because, you know, the AE might be busy and their their mind is on other things. So that's a really good point. I had another question on the, the leads, like when you went to the, the SDR position, how did they deal with accounts and leads? In other words, you were going through hundreds of leads from a CEO to an office manager you said, did they make any connection to like, hey, this lead came in for an account that we're, we've been trying to break into? Or was that up to somebody else? Great question. So when you're a sales development representative and you're getting all of these inbound leads, essentially what happens is you come in first thing in the morning and you'll get a list of all the leads that have interacted in the past day with something on the salesforce.com website. So if someone downloaded a demo, some sort of white paper, signed up for a free trial, goes into a round robin system and then gets spit out equally to all of the sales development representatives. So you could get a lucky day where you have a, an amazing startup that just got a whole bunch of funding or you can get the exact opposite of that. So really the whole goal was with the little bit of insight that we got, it was, hey, I know that this person is a CMO over at this type of organization and they just watched this demo video on marketing automation. My job would now be, okay, let's reach out to that person via phone and email, get a conversation started and qualify as to whether or not they're 
seriously looking to evaluate some sort of new technology. Okay. So in that case, it would be someone who you would want to set up on a meeting that would come in on the lead. But what would happen if it was a kind of an influencer or just a tire kicker or somebody who never is going to buy anything, but they might be able to bring you to the decision maker? Good question. So what we would do in those circumstances as a sales development rep, and I really didn't know that this was happening until coming over here to LinkedIn, but my whole goal was if I found out that someone was an influencer, if I still thought that there was a viable opportunity, I would do one of two things. Help introduce me to that person so I can have a conversation with them and then determine if this is something that's set for an account executive. Or say it's a, a company that I just really think has a strong fit. Yeah, this person may not be in an authority type position, but I think that they can provide some information that'll be useful for the account executive. What I learned is that if someone has some sort of interest and there's a use case for what Salesforce could do, people very rarely you know, sit aside in, in December and say, all right, here's our $50,000 for Salesforce that we're going to use this year unless they're already customers. So what I would do, and what I only learned was the term here was multi-threading, which is you have that initial point of contact within the organization, and you use information that you get from that initial person to help further the conversation with others and identify the other people within that sphere of influence. So there were several times where I think I'd send up an opportunity and know this person isn't going to buy. But the account executive would then do a good job of knowing someone at this company is interested. I need to engage with some of the other folks within that organization and use the information that I got from, say, this individual contributor or person kicking tires. Gotcha. Okay. So, so multi-threading that means that one person from the company is starting to show some interest, but they're not necessarily the right person. So then you go in and you find other people and you try to broker a conversation with them. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much to a T. Really, it's, it's all based off of the idea that there are multiple people involved in any sort of B2B buying decision. You're not really just relying on that one sole point of contact anymore. So how are you going about proactively bringing these people to the conversation, right? If I'm just dealing with a, a VP of sales and that's the only person that I have any sort of contact with, then I'm setting myself up for a couple of different things to happen. That person that completely disappear or to get blindsided because now someone from finance wants to have a conversation or someone in marketing wants to be involved. So even my goal here effectively at LinkedIn is to identify who I think are, you know, the five, six, seven people within an organization that are within that sphere of influence and can determine whether or not a buying decision gets made. Yeah, and and it's it's tricky, right? Because I remember when I reached out, you know, when we started to talk about work.com, that was my initiative that that I I was proposing as a a solution for trying to move the organization forward. And so there were like two or three other people involved in the decision, but they didn't really know anything about what I was doing because I was I was going to propose it to them. And in that case, I think it, it would be tough to go and find other people that are involved, right? Because they don't they might not even know that this person is investigating a solution. So it's just I, I you know, I'm just kind of thinking out loud. It's like, well, how do you be creative in multi-threading to a situation like that without being like, hey, David Delaney is checking this out. Well, you should check it out too. You know, being creative in that way to get in front of the other people. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. And I think I can even share with you an example. So 
a couple days ago, I got an inbound lead for a company that is looking at Sales Navigator. And it's the exact same situation you described there. It's one individual over at this organization. He's putting together all of this material and then planning on presenting that to other folks. So I've had a conversation with him, really stand up guy, knows what he's talking about. But what I've learned from my initial conversation with him is that this is something he wants to get done and needs to get approval from some of the other people on his team to figure out logistics. So rather than saying, hey, you go figure everything out and just come back to me once you've figured it out because I have no idea or control over what's going on there. What I do proactively now is I identify some of the other folks who work within that organization. Maybe there's someone from a marketing standpoint. Maybe there's someone who's in sales enablement. The whole piece here and really why I preach and think that this multi-threading point is so important is it's all about building a relationship or having conversations. I wouldn't say, hey, David Delaney is taking a look at work.com, but I would reach out to whoever the sales enablement person was over there, or you were the director of sales development. I'm sure that there was also a director of you know, individual sales there as well, or someone from a marketing standpoint. It's important to learn more about their priorities there too, because it might be that your solution, while work.com has a very specific function, can play into some of these other pieces as well. So the way I go about getting those conversations started is really just through personalization and genuine curiosity. And I think that you know LinkedIn is a very valuable tool to help you understand a little bit more about people. But I'm, I'm very interested in the, the idea of just having conversation with folks. I want to learn. I'm in a privileged position where I get to speak with executives at large organizations. I want to have a conversation with them to learn about them, how they got to where they've been, and share a little bit more about what I do. And if I do that in the right way, then we can find some commonalities as to maybe there's areas that you're focused on right now that my solution can help provide value. Yeah, that's a really good point, man. I, I think you have to take it from the the angle of, you know, I want to start a relationship, build trust. We may or may not be able to help you right now, and but I'm going to do whatever I can to get to know you and what you're working on and try to peel that back. And if we do have the right solution, great. If not, you know, let me point you in the right direction. I, I think that because of the way that sales is set up, it's, there's, it's such a high pressure environment and everything's very quota driven that it becomes the default for people just to be like, here's my solution. Like, are you going to buy it or not? You know, and get really pushy and, and not build up the trust. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I think it's completely true as well. And there's a whole benefit behind doing a lot of that too. And, and I'll give you another example. Salesforce.com traditionally sells customer relationship management software, but they have a number of different solutions as well. They've got a marketing automation solution that actually competed against Acton. So if I'm trying to sell a company on Salesforce, I'm doing myself a disservice if I'm not having conversations with marketing folks as well, because I might be able to now increase my deal size, have multiple products that I can sell and solve more problems for that organization. If I don't engage with the marketing side of things, then I have no idea what's going on in that realm. And I may have something that can really help out with what they're focusing on. The only way to find that out is to engage and ask. If I just wait for people to reach out to me, that would be absolutely amazing. But in a real world, that almost rarely never happens. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, building trust and taking it from the point of view of we're starting a relationship, you know, you can ask, 
you know, who else should I be talking to or some way to say, like, are there other folks who might benefit from this? And they can always say no, but I mean, right, if you don't ask, then it's a no 100% of the time. But maybe they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, you should talk to Bob because he's involved in marketing automation. And then you've got a warm handoff, you know, but if there's no trust build up, then the automatic thing is like, no, man, I'm, I'm the only one in charge of this. Don't call anybody else, you know. People get really yeah. weird about it. So Yeah, and you shoot yourself in the foot in that situation. I think that's one of the, the big areas that I've seen a big difference between successful SDRs and those who aren't able to get those conversations started. I think one of the worst things you can do is ask someone, are you the decision maker? That's just coming across as offensive. If someone asked me if I was the decision maker and I wasn't, I would just be put off by that. Hey, so I'm of no value to you. The way that I found a lot of success, and I remember I had initially learned at Salesforce, it was, yeah, who else should we have involved in this conversation? Which I think is a great question to ask, because if you've done a good job of building trust, they'll bring those other people in. But what becomes even more powerful is helping to suggest who some of those other folks may need to be involved. So, hey, I'm talking with you. I'm David. You're the director of sales development. And typically when I talk with directors of sales development, we also like to bring in someone from a marketing standpoint. It looks like Janet over here is your director of marketing operations. Do you think you'd be able to bring her on to the next call as well? That little change in framework or how you go about positioning it helps you to get so many more people engaged with this and get a lot more yeses after your discovery calls. Totally, man. I mean, they, I think it was like the challenger sale or one of those things that they were saying how there's usually like five or six people involved in every decision or more, probably as you get more complex. And definitely in 2017, man, you're shooting yourself in the foot if you're just attached to one person. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Now, making the transition to LinkedIn, I mean, you must be like a LinkedIn ninja right now. <laughs> and, and, and like you said, using uh, social was a way that we were able to connect initially. How do you use LinkedIn you know, effectively to build that trust and build relationships and find new people and, and things like that? Yeah, that's a perfect question. Uh, first thing I'll mention there too, it's funny you said LinkedIn Ninja. I have seen such a <laughs> increase in the amount of people who have creative titles on LinkedIn lately, whether it's a sales ninja or an HR guru or a marketing wizard. It's it's just baffling me. I, I think I actually saw a professional Mario Kart player on there the other day as well. <laughs> so that's just a complete <laughs> side note. But that was that was interesting. It gives you a little bit of a understanding as to who that person is. I think the whole <laughs> beauty behind LinkedIn is it's just, it's giving you information that can help you build a relationship. If I'm calling someone or if I'm trying to engage with someone and I know nothing about them, that makes it very difficult for me to go about doing that. The whole piece that I've found a lot of success in is finding commonalities with individuals or being able to understand what's important to them without having to ask. And that's where that whole social listening piece comes into play. You were looking for some new performance management tools for your team. In doing that, you did a whole bunch of research. You ended up posting in a group on LinkedIn. And as a result of you posting in that group, two things happen. One, I can learn about who you are. I know that you're director of sales development over at ActOn. I see that you're actively engaged in the same group as me. And clearly you have an interest in something that I might be able to help you out with. So now I have all of that information. And that led to a meeting versus me just calling up director of sales development, David, hey, are you looking for performance management solutions? So that piece there, I think, is 
really crucial. And, and then the other aspect that I am so excited about and why I'm so passionate about being here at LinkedIn as well is the amount of information that LinkedIn has and the amount of research that we're doing into this and really uh, a little bit of the landscape behind it I think would be interesting for you to hear along with even some of the people that are listening here as well. What LinkedIn has done, as I'm sure you can guess, is we've got just a ton of data like no tomorrow. And what we've also done is we've partnered with a couple of large organizations like the Corporate Executive Board, Harvard Business Review, you name it. And we set out to interview thousands and thousands of salespeople and ask them what's changed in sales in the past five years. And everyone says, yeah, sales has changed a whole bunch in the past five years. And what we've learned is that a lot of traditional sales tactics are no longer as effective as they once were. So gone are the days of saying, hey, here is a phone book. Go call every single person in Toronto that works at a bank. Or let's send out a mass email to every single person that's a CEO at this type of industry. And as a result of really relying on some of those traditional methods, you're doing yourself a disservice. Because your buyers are on the internet, they are engaging with different things. And if you're not where your buyers are, then you're not able to effectively engage with them through those mediums. So there's a few areas that LinkedIn sales solution really goes about trying to help solve with. And a couple of them are really important pieces, and, and I'll share them with you here. The first one all comes to how many people are involved in that B2B buying decision. When we partnered with these organizations, we found there's actually almost upwards of seven individuals that are engaged for the average transaction or relationship, and that can scale tremendously based off of the size of an organization. So important to not just have that one connection or one relationship. The second piece, and something that I think is so important as well, and plays exactly to how we had our initial conversation, more than 75% of research being done on companies is happening online before someone ever reaches out to a vendor. So if I am a startup here in Toronto, I know that there's a couple of pieces of technology that I'm going to need. CRM is one of them. I'm going over to Zoho.com, Salesforce, Microsoft, HubSpot, you name it. And I'm looking at all of these different companies and gathering information. By the time I speak with a salesperson, I already know that I'm going to go about buying some sort of CRM. I just have to use a vendor. And the feedback that I get from that all the time is they go, Adam, that's, that's just for technology sales. And I completely disagree with it. I'll give you the example um, if I were to buy a new car. In an ideal world, I would love to get myself a C-Class. I think it's just such a, a sweet ride, and I want to get behind the wheel of one of those. First thing I'm going to do is go over to Mercedes-Benz.com, research the car, figure out the make, model, color, interior, engine, tires, you name it. After I do that, I'm going to go and read performance reviews about the car. How does the gas handle per mile? Is this car going to you know, be okay in the winter because we get a ton of snow here in Toronto? After I do that, I'm going to do research on a bunch of different dealerships, figure out who's got promotions going on right now, who has a good track record, and then I'm going to start figuring out who some of the individual salespeople are over there. Do I know anyone else that they've sold to? Do they have good ratings? Are people happy with their services they've provided? By the time I show up to that Mercedes dealership, I already know I'm getting myself a new car that day. I just need someone to help walk me across the finish line. And I think that's very true of all B2B sales. So important to recognize that that happens in this environment. And if you're ignoring that completely, then you're missing out on a big opportunity from both a marketing and sales standpoint 
you need to have that content out there to allow people to do their research, but you also need to understand as a salesperson where people are in that buying process. If they're at the very beginning, it's a whole different conversation versus someone who knows that they're buying a car here today and just has a couple of different questions. Exactly. I mean, that, there's a great book called Revenue Disruption by Phil Fernandez, the guy who started Marketo, where he goes into how the buyer process has completely changed and some of the stats that you put. I, I thought it was only five or six, but now there's seven people involved and, and they're doing most of their research online before they even see you. So how do you set up that social listening that you mentioned so that you can get involved in that conversation, you know, using uh, LinkedIn to be able to listen in on conversations that are people having? Because there's so many groups, there's so many people posting. It's, it's like, you know that it's in there somewhere, but how do you like surface that so you can get involved in the conversation? I think you're teeing me up very nicely to just say um, everyone <laughs> sales navigator. <laughs> this isn't this have... isn't a paid promotion, by the way. Yeah. I'm I'm genuinely curious because yeah, I, I would no. like to use it myself. For sure, I think that it all comes down to who you're choosing to follow and engage with. So, Sales Navigator allows you to follow individuals on LinkedIn, regardless of being connected with them, and then also follow companies. So, um, I'll give you an example. There was an advertising company that I had in my book of business this year, and I knew that I wanted to work with them. I didn't just want to pick up the phone and start calling them. I wanted to wait for the right opportunity to build a relationship. So in doing that, I saved the account. So now if there's any posts that happen from that account on LinkedIn, I know about it. If they get mentioned in the news, I know about that as well. And I read a press release that said that they had brought on a new SVP of sales strategy. So once I read that press release, my first thought was, Twofold. One, I need to figure out who that person was, figured out who it was, started following her on LinkedIn as well. But I also knew that this press release had went out now and every vendor was calling on this person. I had already missed my opportunity to be first to the punch. So I didn't want to even bother trying to get cut in all of that noise because I would just be another vendor at that point. So I started socially listening. And a few weeks later, the same SVP of strategy posts on LinkedIn. Does anyone have any good recommendations for a calendaring tool? looking for something new for my team. I have no affiliation with this individual, no connection to them whatsoever, but I have the ability to now like and engage with that. So I said, hey, SVP, I think you should check out this tool called Calendly. I have lots of friends who I know use it and absolutely love the tool. She said, thank you, Adam. A couple weeks later, I then get a note from her. Adam, thank you very much. I appreciate all your help. We ended up going with Calendly. And she sends me over a connection request on LinkedIn. So now she's reaching out to me. So I said to her, you know what? I'm so happy that that worked out for your team. Out of curiosity, you know, you're the new SVP of sales strategy over there. Had you ever considered a formalized LinkedIn strategy to help your team engage with folks like you in the way that I just did here now? And in doing that, I really sold the value of what I provide in a real world example, I didn't have to explain what it's capable of doing. I showed this person how I was able to build value for her. Her team was talking about me internally. And by the time I had my initial call with her, it was like we had already built a relationship. I had already provided value for her and her organization outside of something that has to do with my day to day. And as a result, that led to a really meaningful conversation. And that meaningful conversation turned into a business relationship which all came around that idea that I was waiting for the right opportunity at the right time with the right person and then use that as my approach. 
Yeah, man, this is so good. I mean, I hope that everyone listening to this really like understands what's happening here because that lady probably gets like hundreds of emails every day and hundreds of phone calls of people just like trying to pitch their product immediately. And what you did was kind of flip it around and say, first, again, let's build trust, let's build value. And then if there's something that I can help her with, then definitely let's, let's talk, you know, and, and, and you were actually using your own product to do that. That could be tougher if you're selling like wide area network, you know, solutions to it technical professionals or something like that. But it's the same thing. Like first you have to, you have trust is more important than anything nowadays. And I think LinkedIn is a critical tool in figuring out, you know, how to find out what people need. Very true. Yeah, no, um, I completely agree as I'm, as I'm sure you could guess. And what was interesting in that circumstance as well is it gives you a perfect example of how much research gets done before people even make a purchasing decision. She was looking for some sort of calendaring tool. Never had a conversation with Calendly until I put that in front of them. So they had done a whole bunch of their buying process, knew that they were looking for a solution and just needed to pick a vendor. So in that circumstance as well, the way that they really went about getting in touch with Calendly was towards the end of their sales cycle. And whoever the rep was there picked up on that and was able to help them out accordingly. Yeah, but you you had your finger on the pulse. You 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 know reached out to give her something, and and that kind of built up the relationship first. You know, a lot of SDRs, if they're wondering how do I how do I add value, you know, if if I'm my my job is to set meetings and to make cold calls, and you know, it's it's very it's a very top down approach. Like they're being pushed to to get out there and set up meetings, like. Do you have any advice for SDRs? Like, how can they go out and and add value in a, in a in a way like that? Yeah, I love it. I think that the big area for me, and and I I was big on challenging the status quo a little bit. I had always learned more dials equals more connects. More connects equals more opportunities. More opportunities means more revenue. I think to an extent that's true, but I also would much rather generate an opportunity that I think has a much higher close rate than putting up five that I have no idea what's going to happen. And the way that I did that was really all about recognizing what happens in that buyer's process. So I think a lot of SDRs in particular from the inbound perspective are getting leads from multiple different sources, whether they're from third-party websites like Software Advice or Capterra or from their own website. You need to recognize what has happened in order to bring that lead to you. Example, they've gone to software advice and they're looking for a new, let's even say, telecommunication platform. As a result, software advice is now sending out that information to 10, 20, 30 companies even maybe. And a representative from every one of those companies is chasing that same person. You need to differentiate yourself from those people. And the ways that you go about doing that is by simply being different. So if someone was looking for a new CRM and they went over to software advice, I know that now there are 10 other SDRs at 10 other organizations all reaching out to that one person. Yes, I'm going to reach out to that person 100%, but I'm going to be the only one who sends them over an in-mail on LinkedIn. I'm going to be the only one who, when I call them, find some sort of insight on their profile that I use in my messaging. I'm going to be the only one who is now actively engaging with some of the other folks at their company there as well to build up some sort of groundswell. In doing that, I think you give yourself a much better opportunity 
to not just create more opportunities, but to create opportunities that stick. It's yes, this is the lead that came into my system. It's how do you make the most out of it? And really what got me to start thinking this way is when we would get some of those leads from places like Software Advice or Capterra, we all said, ah, oh, this is this is a you know low quality lead. And I decided to challenge that and say, you know what? Why is it a low quality lead? And then digging through it, I found out the way that the process works. And I learned that I had to do something different. And I ended up having a really strong conversion rate off of those leads because I was recognizing what some of the other people weren't doing. So my advice is try something different. I think that volume is so important, but at the same time as well, if you can put up one opportunity that leads to a closed deal versus 10 opportunities where you don't even know if it's going to make it past the introductory stage, every time you should be putting up that one that's done a good job because ultimately revenue is what drives the business as opposed to just some of these metric numbers. I think that the biggest advice I could give is try something different. Don't break the traditional mold because it is there for a reason, but there's always different ways of going about doing things. And there's tons of different platforms to help you do that as well, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, but you need to be doing something that your competition isn't, not because your competition isn't doing it, but because it's going to make you memorable and stand out. Yeah, it results speak at the end of the day, and it's it's hard to rock the boat, especially when you're just coming into an organization. But I, I can remember uh, one of the SDRs that worked for me a few years ago was always, you know, questioning things and like doing things outside of the box. And from a management perspective, it was a pain in the ass. But now, it, like the guy just has like risen through the ranks and is is very senior at you know at another company because. I think that he was questioning the process constantly and and wanted to focus on what's going to get the best results versus just like, hey, this is the process, this is what we follow, like just stand in line. So, you know, you might be a pain in the ass to the manager, but I mean, if you're getting results, then how do you how do you argue with that, right? That's good to hear. That, that means that there's hope <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah, man, definitely. Well, dude, this has been great, man. I appreciate it so much. If folks want to get in touch with you, Adam, and learn more about how you're using LinkedIn, what's the best way to get in touch? LinkedIn? <laughs> yeah, no shocker. I'm, I'm on there all day, David. <laughs> definitely. Well, we'll post this on there. So we'll definitely you know, get your contact information over there and get a direct link if people want to link up to you. I think you know, from leadership to individual contributors, everyone will get a lot out of this. So thanks again. And We'll do it again soon. No, awesome. Thank you so much, David. It's, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation. And yeah, thank you for having me on here. This has been a blast. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.